For the last time, as our executive director, I'd like to introduce our speaker, our friend, Les. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> wow. I don't know. This is like going to my own funeral. I suppose you could read 1 Corinthians 15 and just throw me in the ground. <laughs> wow. This is amazing. So I'd be lying to tell you if I didn't like it. <laughs> this stuff, I mean, my goodness. And then, you know, but the, pa- the part I didn't like was you found out about the car thing. You know, I, I sat there and went, oh, my goodness. They're going to give me the car. I better go get it cleaned. <laughs> so, and then when the board came up, you know, that, that was really moving because I was really wanting them. They're my brothers, and I appreciate it. And... Uh, a little over a month ago, um, at Daryl Godfrey's funeral, I happened to be there um, in town, and I saw Damien Efta, and I said, are you going to be at the convention? He goes, no, I won't. So when Damien walked up, I, I felt like, you know, George Bailey at the end, I, was, I wanted to say, Harry, Harry, you made it! <laughs> it's like, wow, that was great! <laughs> I loved it, it was amazing. And, uh, you know, so I, I've had just a, tremendous night um so i just realized this is being live streamed there are people all around watching me act like a fool up here (laughs) well it was uh really an amazing amazing time thank you um and and then my brother showed up my goodness um when when uh you guys (laughs) i was getting ready and my brother uh came and I said, wow, are you here to beat me up? <laughs> I mean, he walked in. He's really powerful. He played pro football. And he walked in. And my son, you know, walked in. I heard the, my son, yeah. The door was unlocked. So he came in. And I was studying. And, and I looked up. I saw Chris. I said, who's this guy? I mean, he's like the power of Trump coming at me. But he doesn't have the hair of Trump. So I went, oh. And, and they did. They saw me. I went, oh. And I said, oh, wait for an hour, another hour, hour and a half, and all these people can beat you up, finally. <laughs> he beat me up every day of my life. I think I've told this story of my, I mean, I've told this all around the country. You know, people asked, and they asked about me, and I'd always say, well, you know, I came from Minnesota, and, you know, I have an older brother, two years older, and he beat me up every day of my life, so <laughs> I learned how to, you know, kind of do this, and so anyway, Gordy, thanks for coming. I put the yellow tie on for you, and so it's really a, a great joy to have you here. So um, I uh, uh, wanted to uh, just simply say, you know, I, I, the, the, this is amazing. It's, it's so wonderful, and, uh, um, and yet the message I want to give tonight, I just don't want it to be sentimental, although I, you, can't, you can't not have that. I've, I, I've got to express some s- uh, of sentimentality. However, um, I, I want the man- message to be meaningful as well. And so uh, we're going to kind of mingle in a bunch of things um, here. Um, I am uh, so thankful for, uh, of course, my family, 
Um, thank you so much, uh, Gordy, for coming representing uh, all of my siblings. Uh, thank you, Miriam, for everything. Uh, thank you, all my kids, my grandsons. Uh, this is a great blessing for me. Uh, I just heard Jack Bauer's uh, tune there. It would be, I don't know if you know the 24 thing. It was a ringtone from 24. I'm kind of got rabbit ears. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a good baseball player. I could hear everyone out there. But anyway, um, I'm so grateful for um, the, my family and the, the encouragement they've been to me. Thank you so much um, for all the, the times that I was gone. Thanks for understanding. And also, um, thank you for uh, just uh, serving with me at the same time. It's a great joy and a blessing. Well, um, I'm looking for, where's Amy? Amy, how'd you get in the back? Where is she? Way in the back? What's that? Oh, okay. All right. So everyone go tell her that I pointed her out and threw her under the bus. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, it's just a, a great blessing uh, for, for me to serve. We've always served as a family, and it's a great joy uh, for, for me to stand up here in front of you. Um, I've also um, just so thankful uh, for the, the heritage of, of this ministry in my own life. It, it begins with a guy who was at the time in uh, New Jersey, ended up in eastern Pennsylvania, Robert Minyard. Um, and Robert Minyard, a pastor, IFCA, uh, led a little scrappy little uh, guy named Joe Sabini, Joseph Sabini, uh, Hungarian ethnicity, and uh, Joe Sabini, uh, himself, uh, he and his brother, he told me we were always wrestling and fighting and stuff. But uh, uh, Joe Sabini became a Christian. And um, he uh, grew up, went to Moody Bible Institute, and then got a master's degree uh, early on uh, in the early days when Calvary Bible College was presenting master's uh, degrees. And uh, Joe Sabini then ended up coming to my hometown. And that was such a uh, an amazing and incongruent pairing. My hometown, Minnesotans, you know, they, they go around, hey, hello, how are you? Yeah, I don't know. Let's go get a cone, I suppose. I don't know. Hey, well, you, you betcha. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, um, that's everyone's really, you know, like this. And then here comes a guy from New Jersey, you know, saying, hey, what are you? You know, that's how he talked, <laughs> like that. And so uh, first uh, he's, he uh, shared the gospel with four girls uh, from my high school. And uh, hopefully one of those girls is watching right now. We kind of communicated with her. Kate, hope you're there. Um, so anyway, um, those four girls uh, came uh, to faith in Jesus Christ and changed their lives. They were four girls. They were uh, from real movers and shakers in town. And so made a big impact on our high school. Um, and I can remember just thinking, that's so weird. And then uh, one of the girls, uh, Chris, uh, was dating, Chris Bauer. And um, Chris was confronted with the, with the gospel message. And, you know, Chris was a good Lutheran. And uh, so he said, I don't need that stuff. And ultimately, Chris came to faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he went off to school in Grand Rapids School of Bible and Music. While he was gone, I became a Christian. And uh, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And my life was so radically changed. I was headed this way, and all of a sudden I was going this way. Um, the truth is, um, I looked kind of, I had a John Denver look about me, um, and I thought like, well, today I would be thinking like uh, Mayor Pete 
Buttigieg or um, those are the political heroes I had were those kind of people back then. And all of the sudden, uh, it totally reoriented my life, my worldview, everything changed. I was headed this way. I was going to go into, I thought probably into law and then politics and would have ended up like one of those guys, Bernie Sanders type of guy. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you know, that's, that was my mindset. Um, and so I was headed that way. And um, all of the sudden, I'm going this way. I'm no longer angry about the, the world. I'm no longer uh, angry about the other things that I see. And I realized the problem in this whole universe was, was ultimately came down to me. And I had an issue that had to be settled. And uh, that issue involved my relationship with the living God of the universe and the fact that uh, he is a holy God and I was not. I actually, um, many, many of you have heard me share this. The problem I had, you know, usually when people hear the message of the gospel, uh, they think that they're not, you know, they think, uh, you, know, I, you know, sinners and they talk about sin and, and they, they kind of think that, uh, so I've even, even heard some say, I, I've done, I've sinned too much or, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking about those things. For me, my problem was I thought I was so good. And, I th and you know, when you're headed this way, thinking those kind of thoughts, uh, the way that so many people have today, now I was thinking I was good, that I don't need uh, these, uh, this, this stuff these girls were telling me. I don't need the Bible. The Bible doesn't make sense. It's, it's mythological. And they'd say, well, have you read it? I said, I don't need to read that thing. And so I was really... Uh, quite much uh, oriented towards them. I was quite a scoffer. In fact, uh, Chris uh, remembers that. In fact, uh, he, he wrote a tribute about me in the Voice magazine. That's what he said, that, and, and that's correct. I was, I was uh, I, I, you know, I've I, I'm always been funny, but when I want to, you know, I can weaponize humor, and <laughs> I was weaponizing humor against guys like Chris and the, those girls, and I would, you know, kind of tease them and laugh, but I was really mocking them. And so what happened is it took me a year and a half to understand that um, I, I wasn't who I thought I was. I was comparing myself to people in our high school saying, well, that guy over there, he gets drunk every weekend. That's not me. And uh, that guy over there, he's smoking dope. That's not me. And that guy over there, he's doing this. And that girl's over there. They're doing all this stuff. And I'm comparing myself to everyone. And instead... Um, I realized in high school that um, I was comparing my, making my, my comparisons on the wrong level. And that pastor, uh, Joseph Sabini, um, that hard uh, New Jersey guy in Minnesota, um, one night I was uh, so, so distraught. I just said, I, I don't know what to do. My grandfather had left me an inheritance that would allow me to go to any school I wanted to. I had grades that would allow me to go anywhere. I was confused and, and, and not knowing what to do. And I thought this was the right way, and I'm heading that way. And um, I, I just remember those four girls kept talking about, well, you should go talk to this pastor. He can share the Bible with you. And so I called him up, um, and uh, it was a Monday morning. And uh, he invited me over, and it was a Monday night football game, October 2nd. Actually, I can even tell you the game that was being played. And I, I said, I, I don't want to watch football. i got to figure this out. So I went over to his house, and Pastor 
Pastor Sabini, Joe Sabini, um, he, he said, come in. And the first thing I thought is he'd mock me because I looked, like I said, like John Denver. And he said, come in, have a seat. And uh, what do you want to talk about? What it, you know, and so I kind of said, well, I, you know, I'm a Minnesotan. So I said, well, I kind of think that um, you know, I'd like to know what the Bible says. I don't want to know what your church says. I don't want to know your own uh, opinions. Just open, can you open the Bible and just point? And I, he said, yes, I, of course I can. So we started talking, and then he said, uh, the, the one that really got to me was Romans chapter 3, verse 23, when um, he said, here, read that verse. And, you know, he put the Bible on my lap. He said, read it. What does it say? Um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I said, what does that mean? What's the definition of sin? Um... You know what it means. You know what it means. You got good grades in school. All have sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. What's the definition of sin? It says it right there. Um, uh, fall short of the glory of God. That's right. A guy like you probably compares yourself to everyone. Talk, and you're, you're really good. You're really good in school. You got good grades. I know that from those four girls. They told me all about you. And um, <laughs> you're... He knew about my brother. He said, your brother is a football star. Your sister is homecoming queen. Um, I know your family. Your dad owns a store. Um, and everyone knows your family's name here in town. And you're comparing yourself to everyone like this. You, you can't do that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I, that's when I went, that is exactly what I've been doing. I've been looking at everyone else. Compared to everyone else, I was really pretty good. But the problem was I was comparing myself to them and not to the Lord God of the universe. And so um, I knew I had a problem. So then Pastor Sabini said, uh, you got a problem. Here, read Romans 6. So I said, oh, okay. And Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What is that? What's wages? Well, it's what you get when you work. Okay, wages. What's wages of sin? Death. Death, that's right. Death. You got a problem. And, <laughs> and then he described this. He said, you know, death, it's not just going in the ground. It's, it's what your destiny will be after you're in the ground. Or be, even before you're in the ground and make it there, your soul. Where will you go? What's, what's your soul's destiny going to be? And so I, I grappled with that for a moment. He said, read the rest of the verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he said, uh, you have a problem. It's death. It's sin. The wages of sin is death. But the solution is the gift of God which is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then he explained the death of Christ, Christ dying in my place on the cross in my, as a substitute for me. So he said, you, you need to trust Christ. I said, no, not here. And he said, why? I said, I don't want to do it with you. <laughs> I didn't tell him. I said, I want to say, you scare me. And I, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want a guy to be pushing me around. That actually, that's what Gordy taught me. <laughs> he pushed me around, and you push me. I don't like that. And I was, you know, I was ready to, 
I, was, I wanted to stop uh, my, my, my fight and my resistance against God. I wanted to stop that. And I didn't want it to be because a guy from New Jersey was pushing me. And so um, I said, no, I'll, I'll do it. At, I'm going to go home. But you, you don't know if you're going to die on the way home. <laughs> what happens if you die on the way home? Well, um, just down Sarnia and then... <laughs> take a left in, in good view on 40, 40, you know, he said, you could die on the way home. I said, no, that, that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home. I'm going to drive home and do this at home. And he said, you need to do business with God. I know, but I'll do business at home. Um, so I kept saying that over and over again. And so he's following me to the door. And as he's following me to the door, he, and then the door, he said, do it. You need to do it. Do it. And he's like that. And, and I realized that he was right. I, I thought about all the way home, and uh, I went home, went straight downstairs to my bedroom, and kneeled. No one told me, kneel. I just did. I kneeled at, my, at, at the bed, and I think it was because I was so proud and arrogant for so long about who I was and um, what I, f- I felt um, our family name was and all of that stuff, and so I, I knelt, and it was no longer this toward God. It was, oh, God. I said, I, I commit uh, my faith uh, into Jesus Christ. I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Dear Father, I, I confess my sin. I'm not who I, I said I was. I'm not who I, uh, all these people think. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I trust you as my Savior. So when I got up, I was totally different. Headed this way. Now I'm headed this way. And um, it was, a, in fact, shortly thereafter, I mean, within like, I mean, like about a week, um, there was a conference at our church. They brought in a missionary from, at that time, New Tribes Mission. Now it's Ethnos 360, one of our displayers here, one of our members. A missionary talked about trying to reach people down in um, uh, South, uh, South America in the jungles. And I said, that's what I want to do. I finally figured it out. My grandpa had left money, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't want to touch it till I had it figured out. I said, now I will. So then I took grandpa's inheritance, and I invested in nine years of my education to learn the Bible. Seven years Greek, three years Hebrew, all the theology, all the ancient Near Eastern history, all the studies that I did because my grandpa had left the money and because now I had purpose in my life. And uh, the next major uh, step in my life was uh, going to the school and meeting my my best friend Chris at first and his wife Lori. And then the next uh, semester, Miriam came and I met Miriam. And in that first semester I was there, I met Ron Thompson. Ron, are you here somewhere? Yep, there you are. I met Ron and his wife Wanda and uh, they talked to me about Utah. And I thought, that sounds great. I can't go this summer, but I, I think I want to work out there for summers after you know, my second year at school and then my third year. Little did I realize when I'm mentally making that commitment to Ron to be his intern that Miriam was from Utah. And uh, so it just was just an amazing uh, series of events for me. And uh, while I was there at Grand Rapids School of Bible and Music, I met... Uh, Ron Manahan, who is, uh, uh, he ultimately transferred from 
Grand Rapids down to Grace College, became the president there. And he's been my mentor for all the years since 19, probably 73, 74, right in there. And so uh, um, I've had uh, important men in my life. My uh, Anna was first born 45 minutes later. Chris was born. Um, we had picked out their names before, Anna Elizabeth, and then Christopher Ronald, Christopher after him, and Ronald after him, and Ron Manahan. So Ron Thompson and Manahan, Christopher Bauer. And so uh, that's uh, the, then uh, my uh, second, uh, well, actually, the f they were kind of co code firstborns, uh, but technically the thirdborn, Paul, he became Paul Gordon, Lofquist after my dad and my brother. And then um, my daughter, Amy, uh, Amy Joy, brought us great joy. And then we just decided we, we want to do my family uh, tradition, which is to name uh, the middle name uh, with the maiden name of my mother. Uh, I, that's my maiden, or my middle name is my mom's maiden name, my grandfather, his first name and his last name, Leslie F. Cruz Sr. I'm Leslie Cruz Lofquist. And so we decided Miriam's maiden name, Ransom, so uh, little Emily is Emily Ransom Lofquist. So that's kind of, a, a, a kind of the strain of my, my life. Um, I get to Utah. Um, Ken and Marsha Hornock, Steve and Lori Barsoon were out there along with uh, Ron Wanda and many others out there. They helped to, to formulate my understanding of how to do ministry and um, so grateful for them. So, um, you know, I've, uh, I, I'm so thrilled the board was up here because those men mean everything to me. Um, the uh, board presidents I've served with, um, Bob Graves, Roy Sprague, Jerry Smith, Earl Brubaker, Paul Sager, Tom Zobrist. Those men just, they mean everything to me. Um, I think, and I do have, I, I, we will look at the, the Bible uh, tonight, but I wanted to say one more thing. Uh, a number of people have come up to us and said, oh, how's Richard and Wendy, how, how are they going to do? And the concern was all this acclaim and all of this, are they, are they, are they scared? And, and I said, you know, Richard, is really an amazing man, um, and, and Wendy as well, amazing woman. Um, they have such respectful confidence. And, and by that I mean, if uh, they're so respectful, it's not like they're saying, let's step aside, we're taking over, now we're going to show them how it's done. <laughs> they're not doing that. Um, they're respectful. And they're, they're confident. It's not like they're shrinking away saying, oh, how can we ever do this? Less. Oh. You know, they're, they're not doing that at all. Um, and I like that about them. They're not afraid. Um, they're confident. And the reason they're confident, it's not because of themselves and they're saying, yeah, we're great. They're saying because our God is great. And they're saying, you know, God, is, God has so clearly led them into this position and God has so clearly brought them from Los Angeles to Grand Rapids. And it was so clearly the, the calling from God that they said, you know, if God is in this, we'll be okay. If God's in this, we'll be okay. And I see seated next to you is your friend Ed. Ed Cabo, we, we have a debate. It's, I always say Caballero, but he said, well, he's kind of an American now, so he says Caballero. But Caballero, so there's Ed. And, and that's, that's the, the foursome there. Um, and and you, can, you can stand strong when you have your, your wife, 
Richard, you have your friends and you have your family and you have us. But most importantly, you have our Lord and he'll see you through. So I love that about them. Uh, Their respectful confidence is pretty amazing to me and is a great blessing. And I wanted you to hear that so that you can say, Richard's going to do great because he is. And if you women weren't here, but the men, men got a chance to see him. Tomorrow you'll hear him preach. He's a tremendous preacher. He's a very confident leader, has clear vision, real understanding of what needs to be done. He's gifted in so many ways, a number of them uh, beyond my own gifting. And so I'm really, really uh, thrilled. Uh, And one last thing. Some of you are acting like you'll never see us again. I mean, come on. (laughs) I mean, I might die before next year, but I come to these things. I'll be here next year. I don't know if you realize why they hired me at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. It's so that I could maintain good relationships with you. So it's not like I'm going to say, okay, I got a new job. Goodbye, I hate you. It's like they'd say, less. that's why we hired you. <laughs> Keep these strategic partnerships and relationships going. So, you know, I'm counting on being around and seeing you, and, and, uh, and, and I'll be here in the conventions. Uh, Miriam and I will be around, so don't, you know, don't act like, oh, we'll never see you. It, it's, it's not actually. I've been there uh, enough to talk to them. They have a full plate for me. I have a lot to do. And so don't, don't say he's retiring. Just say, well, he's taking a different ministry position after 20 years. So um, I'd like you to open your Bibles up to Philippians. Philippians chapter number one. Uh, the other night, uh, Brother Alex looked at the uh, book of Philippians, and I want to continue on. Uh, Paul's primary purpose in writing Philippians was a thank you for the gift that that church in Philippi, which is in northern Greece, um, used to be called Macedon. Paul received a gift from them while he was in prison. And so it's one of these uh, letters in the New Testament called the prison epistles. And so uh, Paul received this letter uh, 16 times in it. While he's in jail, four times he says he's in chains. 16 times he says, um, I have great joy because of the partnership in Christ. And so Paul, while he's in a, in a jail in Rome, um, he's so thankful for the Philippians. And it's not just for the gift. He's thankful for the encouragement. He's thankful for the kindred spirits that they have. He's thankful for what they have done. He's thankful for their encouragement. And that brought him great joy. And uh, uh, so uh, this, this uh, place, Philippi, uh, one of the things that in the verse we're going to see, a really interesting uh, allusion. It, the allusion uh, is to uh, Philippi, a little background. Uh, Philippi, the city of Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, And its growth came after one of the most famous battles uh, in Roman history. In uh, 42 BC, the Battle of Actium, when the armies of the Roman Republic, uh, led by Mark Antony in alliance with Cleopatra, went up against the armies of uh, Octavian. And uh, it was the Republic versus, we're going to have an empire and and one guy being the emperor. And uh, uh, Octavian won. He defeated uh, the armies of Antony. And the people who fought on Octavian's side, they said, we're going to give you free the city of Philippi. And you can live there for free. And while you're there, um, you're going to be in Greece, but you're going to be considered Roman citizens. That gives you higher uh, status in that, in that world. Now, under Roman law, we're going to exempt you from taxes 
And those, those people from the Roman army who settled in Greece, Macedon, um, they um, used Latin as their official language. They dressed as Romans. They were legal citizens of Rome itself. They were granted autonomy from Greece. So it's this little, little enclave of Rome in the middle of Greece. And uh, that's because uh, of that tremendous battle they won. Yet as proud as they were over this Roman citizenship, the Philippian Christians were told in chapter 3, verse 20, your citizenship is in heaven. You're, you are citizens. If you're a Christian and you're there in Philippi and you think you're citizens of Rome in the middle of Greece, you're wrong. You're not. You're citizens of heaven. And so um, that forms a whole backdrop, backdrop to, for the verse I want to look at, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so um, it's really interesting. Um, we, we've, we have let your conduct, um, you know, um, this word is uh, it's, a, it's an imperative in Greek, uh, a command. It's a passive, it's present tense. And the, the verb is palituo. Palituo, uh, where we get the words politics from. Palituo, to be a citizen is literally what it means. And so uh, we have it, let your conduct. Um, but uh, Paul's point isn't that, that alone. He said, you accept your privileges with civic pride as Roman citizens, but remember, you have privilege with responsibility. You have this great uh, privilege, but you have the responsibility to live a certain way. And so what he's really saying is, um, let your conduct, what he's, what he's trying to say is, make sure you're living a certain way, that your conduct, meaning the politiuo, the act, acting as a citizen, Make sure you act out your true citizenship. And so that's kind of what I wanted to share with, with us here um, in these, these few moments here at the end. He says, let your conduct, let your actions reflect your true citizenship. And that's what I would say to each of us tonight and anyone watching um, over internet or watching a tape recording. Um, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Live your life in such a way that people will know where your true citizenship lies. Um, you have real responsibility um, to live in that way. Now, it's interesting. He says, only let your conduct be worthy. And literally, that would mean above all else, at all costs, above everything else, you make sure you live a certain way. So above everything else, let your conduct or live a certain way to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy um, is the idea that uh, you will live in a way that will uh, reflect what God demands of his people. The same words used in Ephesians 4.1 where Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Another of the prison epistles, there's four of them, another of the letters he wrote from prison, in the letter to the people in Colossae, he writes that uh, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
And then he wrote the uh, same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. He says, so that you would work in a man, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. And so we see that um, above everything else, let your life be lived worthy of the gospel. Make certain that you're living your life in such a manner that you'll bring honor to Christ and that you will uh, allow Him and His glory to be seen through you to other people. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for IFCA International. So uh, we need our conduct to be worthy of the gospel. Then he kind of explains how, he, how to do that. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That, here's the first uh, uh, way to live as a worthy citizen of heaven, so that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. It's the idea that you, you're together, un- unity. We see our theme, brothers united strong. And the idea here is that we will be un- we'll have unity in, in practice, the way that we live. And this word, uh, to uh, stand fast in one spirit, it, is a, it comes out of the, uh, the genre of uh, a soldier. The, the idea of the determination of a soldier who refuses to give ground. He will stand. He will make his stand here, draws a line and says, no further. That's why I love, I love military history. I, I study it and I love it. And one of my favorite uh, uh, people in history uh, was Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, uh, who was a general uh, uh, in, from Maine. Um, and during the war, Civil War, um, famous on Battle of Little Round Top on the second day of uh, the battle at Gettysburg. Um, he, and I liked him because he's a college professor and a, a fighter. And, a, and so he rallied the troops around and he, he took his sword and he, he uh, just went through the ground like that. And he said, no further. They will not come here. We will stand. They ran out of bullets. And they said, what should we do? They said, fix bayonets and we are charging. <laughs> I love that. Fix your bayonets and let's go. And that's... That's kind of what Paul is saying here. We are standing here. We're going to stand. He says that I want you to stand in one spirit with one mind. One spirit um, and one mind. Actually, is one. The, the word is for soul. One souled. Similar language uh, we saw on Monday night was uh, used to describe Timothy. Uh, that this man is similar in, in the way that I am. And so um, this concept appears all throughout uh, the New Testament that stand together like a soldier in one spirit, one soul. And the opposite when it happens is so sad when we see churches that uh, devolve into all kinds of controversy and fighting. We see that also in the book of Philippians chapter 4, the two women that Paul mentions who were, were fighting with each other. That's so unhelpful. When you're on a team... You don't want to be fighting. You can't be. You can't, you can't fight each other and, and be able to win the game. You can't fight each other and be able to defeat the enemy. So we want there to be unity, and that's how you live as a worthy citizen of heaven. 
to live with unity in practice. But uh, secondly, unity with purpose. It's just not unity so we'll feel good about ourselves and, and we'll just be happy. He says, um, I want to make certain you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. There's the practice. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's purpose here. I, I love this verse. I love this word here. It's, and I'm going to say it in Greek and you'll hear something. It's soon athleo. Athleo. Athletics. So he says, I want you to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. Striving together. Contending, struggling like a team trying to win a victory. Uh, the, it's the world of the athletes. So the first word was from the world of the military. The second word is from the world of, of sports. I love both those worlds. And I love team sports. I can remember one time uh, Bob Provost uh, and I were just chatting. And we were watching one guy. He was doing goofy things and it was kind of crazy. Uh, the actions. And, and as we left, Bob said, I don't think our brothers ever played team sports. I never forgot that. And I always call him my teammate. And the reason is, you know, I, I kind of like to think, okay, I played tight end in high school. You know, you get down like this. And I loved it because you could block. I love blocking. And no one down here, uh, two slots down, the guy's going to snap the ball. I knew the, the count, so boom. The moment he snaps, I'm out. And I'm blocking. I remember blocking Gordy. And in a, in a scrimmage, I blocked him. And my whole life of rage came out. <laughs> I knew the snap count. And I knocked him down. I was so happy. And... He was on the ground, he popped up, made the tackle. <laughs> ah, that's another thing about team sports, isn't it? You know, you get knocked down, get up, make the tackle. Uh, Tom Landry said 80% of the tackles in the NFL are men from, originally thought to be out of the play. So don't give up, you'll get blocked, you'll get knocked down, get up and make the tackle. And so I love team sports. I, I was a tight end, I'd like to every so often you catch the ball, um, but... Uh, the thing, I, I, I kind of think myself, okay, now if I'm football analogy, I'm kind of like a quarterback. And so the quarterback, you know, he stands like this. He's looking at everything, and he's got to be figuring out what's happening out here. But, man, if his left tackle's not blocking, that's Tom Olson over there. I always called him my left tackle. If he's not blocking for me, boom, I'm looking this way, and I'm, I'm in trouble. And then I have... Uh, here, the tackle next to me, that's, we had tackle, like Ken Hornock was a tackle in football. And Ken can be blocking uh, here, but the guy next to the uh, center, that's a guard. That's Dan Fredericks. Dan played on two state championship teams in, in uh, uh, Arizona, and he was a guard. And uh, uh, so Dan's here, we got Tom here, we, you know, we got a, a whole team. And they all do different things. And if, if they're not all working... You're going to fail. You can't work together. Teams, you have to assemble a team and you got to work together. And that's the exact analogy he's using there. He says striving together, that you're working together as a team. And that's why I love football. I love football because it's the, the greatest example of team sports because there's 22 guys running around, 11 on one team, 11 on another. They're all doing stuff. They all have to do their, their job and they have to work together. 
And then you have the offense and defense. They switch out and they come on and everyone's doing different things. And everyone's important. Everyone's important. And so we got as a team, we got to work together, strive together. Soon athleto. By the way, Paul had, uh, the Apostle Paul, um, it's interesting because if you look in the uh, New Testament, you see famous names of his teammates, Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Aristarchus, Mark, Timothy, all kinds of others. Well, I did a study once, and Paul mentions 90 people in the New Testament. He greets 90 people who are listed as his teammates or people he greeted. Think of that, 90 on his team. That's an amazing, because partnerships uh, lead to collaboration. The accomplishment of ministries never achieved alone. Partnerships, collaboration, cooperation, networking, interdependence, sharing, teamwork, working together. That's what Paul is talking about here. And so striving together. But what? For what? Striving together for the faith. Of the gospel. Tony. Are you over here? You usually been over here. Yeah, there you are. Tony spoke this morning. He's a basketball star from his high school and college days. Guy could drain threes. Never saw him play, but his dad told me that, so it's got to be true. Anyway, Tony, Tony's a basketball guy. And this morning, he's talking about, and tonight I'm talking about striving together, but Tony talked about the faith of the gospel. So that's what we're striving together. It's not simply striving together to build up something to make us look good or make me look good. It's for the, the faith. The faith. The thing I just shared at the beginning of this message. The gospel. The truth that changes lives. People going this way and radically transformed their lives. And now they're going this way. This way to this way. And so um, we need to uh, understand the gospel and the faith of the gospel. The faith, that's actually referring to the whole uh, teaching of of the Bible. Uh, And so uh, the faith once delivered, the body of truth that God has given to us, that's what we strive together as an athletic team. So unity in practice, unity in purpose, and that's why we, or that's how we live our lives as uh, people who are worthy of the gospel. People whose lives are lived, whose conduct is uh, lived in such a way that they demonstrate, I'm a citizen of another place. I live here, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And so unity, not just to feel good, brothers united, not just to stay strong, but unified in purpose, seeking worthy spiritual goals, purposive in our ministry. You know, uh, I've already told you how much I love sports. If you look at, uh, for example, in the NBA, when I was in Utah, I developed a deep love for the Utah Jazz. The NBA all-time points leaders, number one, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number two, Carl Malone, and 4,500 points behind Carl Malone, 4,500 points behind him is Kobe Bryant. So you got Carl Malone, number two, uh, all-time points leader. Number one in assists in the NBA, John Stockton with Carl Malone. Number two, Jason Kidd 
is 3,715, 3,715 assists behind John Stockton. So it's not even close. You got Stockton so far ahead as a, as a uh, point guard with assists. You got Carmelo, number two scorer in the NBA. And by the way, in steals, the number, uh, number one is John Stockton. 600 steals behind in the NBA uh, in the um, all-time. Jason Kidd, 600 steals behind Stockton. Not even close. Stockton, best point guard in assists and in steals. What's my point? Why am I bringing this up? Because the Jazz never won a championship. I'm cursed. It's like the Vikings. <laughs> never won the championship. It takes more than a couple of stars. Some of the best who ever played. One, the best, I'd say, ever, point guard ever to play. It takes more than that. You want to win a championship, it's more than stars. And I'll go into a football analogy. Do you know something? Uh, biggest, glitziest of all the glamour positions in football, quarterback, season passing yards leaders in the NFL. Quarterbacks in the same season who uh, led the NFL in passing yards, the same season, the quarter, that quarterback who won the Super Bowl, none. It's never happened. Ever. Go out and get all the stats you want, make yourself look great, and you can't win a championship. And the point I'm making is it's more than just a couple of stars up here. Me for 20 years, Richard for uh, 40 years, and, uh, you know, uh, oh, he, his wife looked at him and said, oh, no. <laughs> but it's more than just a couple of guys. It's all of us. It's all of us. We all have a part to play. We have something we need to do. And so it's interesting when you go all the way back to a guy who is, I, I mean, I know some of you know him, uh, Robert Minyard. How many of you know Bob Minyard? A few of the old timers and some of the guys from East. N no one else knows him. I'm, I've talked so much about him. But now be honest. How many of you ever remember meeting Joe Sabini, like just a couple, <laughs> not very well known at all, but like uh, we heard from Claggart in the uh, men's meeting this afternoon, the work of God done by largely unknown people, just faithfully doing the work, and we all have a role to play, and so I'm so thankful for those who've had a role in my life. And I'm so grateful for those in who, into whose lives I've been able to pour myself. And now all the rest of us need to continue to do that, to let our conduct be worthy of the gospel. And the way we do that is standing fast in one spirit with one mind and striving together for the faith of the gospel. And uh, in closing, I would like to just show you one last thing. Book of Philippians, turn to chapter 1, first verse. Paul identifies himself as the writer in Timothy to the saints in Philippi. Second verse, very, very after the introduction, he says, grace, grace to you and peace from God, grace. Take a look at the very last word in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. First word and last word is grace. 
grace, meaning we don't deserve it. It's not something that we earned because we're so good, because we, in my high school years, got a lot of A's and, and was captain of this team and that one. It's, it's not that. It's that which God gives to us that we do not deserve, which is his unmerited favor because of what Christ has done in our behalf, in our place. So that's offered. And that's the message that we offer to this world, isn't it? The message of grace. First word, last word, grace. And so um, I will uh, uh, simply end uh, my message by talking about the grace of God. And I'd like to ask you to stand with me. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Father, that uh, your grace is so awesome. And we know, Lord, that none of us are worthy, but we know Jesus Christ is the only worthy one in the whole universe. And he gives to us his perfection when we trust in the message of grace. And so I pray, Father, you help us to be messengers of the gospel, messengers of grace, that you'll work in our hearts to help us, Lord, to serve you faithfully, and that you will help us to be faithful stewards, servants, managers of that which you've entrusted to us, because Jesus Christ is worthy. Thank you that we can pray in his name. Amen.